Welcome to the last thing I saw. Uh, we're winding down the Cannes Film Festival, or the Cannes Film Festival is winding us down, or winding us up and then down. Um, but at any rate, I'm, I'm very happy to be doing this episode uh, with Jessica Kiang, who's been writing for, I guess, Variety? Only Variety here this time, yeah. Welcome. Thank you very much. And I, I, am, I think I'm one of the unwound at this stage. Unwound. Yes, I've yeah. been entirely unwound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely been, you know, a very busy festival and much different from last year, which I was not here, but you were, you were here for last year. I was, yes. Yeah. And it was, uh, it's, it's been, it's not just different from last year, it's also different from all previous years. So this is, ah, yeah. yes, when they say we're living in unprecedented times, I think this is what they're talking about. Everybody's just yeah. talking about the Cannes Film Festival, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's so <right. laughs> that's the only thing that happens. Yeah. Um, yes, it's been a weird year. It's been a really very odd year. It's sort of the most unusually unconsensus building. Mm. Even though I think everybody can probably agree that the movies haven't been as good as, you know, the standard across the board hasn't been as yeah. high as it has been in previous years. On individual movies, I just f have never found such a polarized reception. I think you get like, normally you'll get like a lot of people giving things sort of three stars and that's how things net out at an average. Yeah. But here it seems to be averaging out at a three because people are giving them fives and people are giving them ones. Right. That's true. So it's a very odd year like that and there hasn't really felt like something that everybody has really just got behind and, yeah. and really felt played amazingly in every room that it played in so yeah which is I, I thought almost like is bad and good I mean in, in a way it's nice when you have these movies that become events you mm. know like like Parasite yeah you know, for example yeah. on the other hand you know it's also nice when a lot of movies get to come through in a way so it isn't all sort of overshadowed um, there were a lot of movies that I thought were, were good you know mm. weren't blowing my mind but yeah no I, I had the same thing but I, I, I found it strange that there were so many films that again in in the room having done this a, a few times before <laughs> felt like I not only had a beat on what I felt but like that I had a beat on what the room felt and uh -huh. and as, assumed that another room would feel more or less the same way Way, watching uh -huh. that film and I have been proven entirely wrong almost every <laughs> single time I thought I I thought I had a handle on how something was going to go down yeah yeah I'm curious what's, what was like an example of that well um let's see okay so the eight mountains for example uh, um which yeah. is a film I really loved um mm -hmm. and I uh and I I mean I understand not everybody has to love everything as much as I do although mm -hmm. obviously they would be well advised to um but uh uh, I just assumed, really, the only criticism I can see people launching against that is that it is very novelistic. It mm. is very slow and sort of old-fashioned in a way. Um, but the actual craft of the filmmaking and everything is fantastic. And then mm. I came out and I, I was really greeted with people who had some sort of odd vitriolic hatred of it. Mm. And that was one of the first ones that that uh, started right. getting like one stars and, and, and things. Which I, I just don't know how you can give a movie that well-made one star. That was strange. I, I guess that was on the second day or like yeah, just so after the really, opening it was really night. early on. So I don't know if people were just getting out travel anger or something. Yeah, maybe like so, that. maybe so, yeah. Or, or um, you know, I also, it's sort of a, you know, big-hearted movie, I yeah. guess, and maybe people are at first not ready to access that part of themselves. Yeah. Although by the end, something like Close... Yes. the Lucas Don film people are falling all over themselves exactly falling all over themselves yeah. which is I mean and it's, it's funny that you couple those two together because obviously both are stories of, of childhood friends yes. um, and I was thinking of Eight Mountains when I was watching Close as well and, yeah, me too, yeah. um, and I wonder actually again so, such a lot of this is probably kind of arcane scheduling detailing that yeah. isn't very interesting to, to people who aren't here <laughs> but the fact that Eight Mountains as you say ran so early in the festival and I wonder if it actually might have played better at the end because it's long and it's but it's quiet and it's sort of majestic in its in its scope and I think that w actually when we were just discussing 
prior to this what we were going to talk about and I really wanted to talk about the Kelly Reichardt film yeah. and I mean they're very different films the Kelly Reichardt's showing up and um, Felix van Groningen and Charlotte van der Meesche's The Eight Mountains mm -hmm. but um, I think that there's a sort of a similar sort of just a, a relax mm. relaxing into them um, and when I first saw the schedule actually I was really surprised that Kelly Reichardt was, was playing so late in the festival she yeah. was literally the, the last uh, competition oh second last I think Mother, Mother and Son was afterwards yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah but on the last day anyway of, of the of the competition and that seemed like um, a very strange place to put, you know, such a well-respected auteur. Yeah. Um, and then I saw the film and I actually worked out that I think it was the perfect place mm. for it because it was pretty much the last uh, competition film that I saw not as part of one of the catch-up screenings or whatever. And mm -hmm. it's just such a balm, so soothing. Um, yeah. I really, I, f I came out of it just feeling so zen. And I think I probably, because I, I knew I wasn't going to be writing about it, I probably didn't really make myself, I didn't take notes and I didn't, so I, I allowed myself off the hook mm -hmm. as well. And it was just the perfect film to be able to do that to. Yeah. I may even have drifted in and out of a little snooze every now and then, <laughs> but it really di it didn't seem to mind. Yeah. The movie didn't seem to mind me having a little yeah. snooze in it. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a gorgeous little film. I'm, I mean, I think that that is one that actually, it turns out, I think it's played better to people because of where it was put in yeah. the competition. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also funny because it's a movie that in a way takes you back into life or like daily life outside yeah. of the festival yes you know um, the but sheer banality yeah. on it. yeah <laughs> it's like oh this is relaxing yes. you know it's like she's annoyed about people at work you yeah. know in, in an office you yeah. know and and she has a, this uh, landlord who's also an artist who is passive aggressive more yes. or less and they're doing this passive aggressive war back and Hong forth Chow, yeah and she's wonderful in it yeah, yeah. she's really good yeah. and, and i just thought that you know that was also just a, a relationship that feels like very yeah i remember that that's yeah <laughs> that's something that happens and i think it's also uh, i mean i don't want do too gendered of a read of it but I mean there there is something about the fact that it's a movie about female artists and we and we've seen movies about you know visual artists who are men before and that mm -hmm. they tend they do those movies do tend to gravitate towards you know genius and madness and right. bombast and um, and this is just so the opposite of this this yeah. is like genuinely about just showing up and doing the work of making yeah. art um, and sort of you know the, the little disappointments the the kiln that gets too hot on one side and, right. and, and yeah. burns one of her, her pieces and it's just and that's not even that big a deal. It's not a catastrophe. It's right. just an annoyance um, because this is her everyday job. And I just thought that was a really interesting and maybe perhaps, you know, female point of view on, mm -hmm. on, on making art, um, that it is just something that you do. It isn't necessarily some kind of like grand vocation that you don't have to be a complete asshole to everyone around you. Yeah. Although sometimes she is a bit of an asshole. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it, I mean, if she ever is, you know, curt or something, it usually has to do with carving out the time. Mm. You know, it, one thing I loved about this movie is how much it just realizes that as an artist, you just feel like your time, not that I'm an artist, I don't know, but, <laughs> but I mean, I imagine as He's an artist. an artist of the podcasting artist. art. <laughs> well, well deserved. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, is that she's, she's, she's just like, you've got to hang on and protect every bit of time you, you can get. That's right, yeah. And it's really precious, and so I, I appreciated that. Yes, um, absolutely. And, and, and just, yeah, the day-to-day -day stuff that everybody else has to do, I mean, artists also have to do unless they have yeah. attained a ridiculous degree of success. Yeah. So um, I think it's really lovely in the process of that. And it is a really lovely friendship movie because although yeah. they have this sort of antagonistic prickly thing going on the whole time, yeah. that lovely ending that just leaves you on yes. this perfect lovely note yeah. um, between the two of them that is not overstated at all. And of course, pigeons. 
And pigeons, pigeons yes. And pigeons, um, yeah. which actually have now, even this morning, in fact, I was talking to some people last night and they were saying how just before they had gone to see the uh, uh-huh. the, the Gelly Reichardt movie, which features a pigeon quite prominently, uh, mm-hmm. it's most possibly the most prominent art house pigeon since the pigeon that sat on the branch <laughs> reflecting on existence, <laughs> Roy Anderson's movie. It's the next um, It's, yeah, Keep exactly. an eye on this pigeon. Keep an eye on this That they had been uh, walking towards the, to the, towards the palais to see the movie and two separate groups of people uh-huh. had been more or less like circled slash attacked by pigeons on the way wow. so the pigeons are, and I, I thought well this is a funny story that they were doing this and then this literally this morning almost the same thing happened to me this pigeon comes dive bombing at me and barely swerves I mean I'm sort of trying to dodge out of the way and uh, yeah it, it was really coming straight from my face that's crazy <laughs> yes I hadn't connected until you said that but I took this picture ah <laughs> Of a pigeon. People, it, people, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's <laughs> The pigeons are coming to get us. Um, <laughs> just, just for the court stenographer, uh, I, I entered into evidence a, a, a picture of a pigeon on a railing that came right next to me when I was having coffee this morning. Yep. That's interesting. Although this pigeon was kind of cocking his or her head and as if to say, well, what do you think? <laughs> yes. Well, no, that was, um, it was uh, Dorota's pigeon yesterday, apparently, came and sat on the uh, table and ate six olives. <laughs> six olives that had pits in them. And Dorota was feeling very guilty, saying that she should no. have stopped the, the pigeon. But, I mean, the pigeon's got to learn some self-control as well. <laughs> so somewhere around, somewhere in yeah. Cannes, there was a pigeon with six olive pits in its stomach. Oh, no. <laughs> clutching his stomach. Um, wow. So, yeah, I guess there's something in the air. There's Sorry. something in the <laughs> I air. I had to say that. But uh, yeah, that's that's showing up. Although I have to mention, because I didn't really think it when I was watching it. In the credits, I noticed an animatronic pigeon credit. Oh, really? Yeah. So some oh, part of it. Oh, some part of it. Okay. Yeah, which is interesting. Maybe maybe just to get it to sit because the pigeon is yeah, injured. So maybe just right. to get yeah. Don't want yeah. to coop it yes. up. <laughs> I don't think Kelly Rockar would be one for like breaking a whole bunch of pigeons' wings <laughs> just to be able to get her shot. <laughs> Again. Again. Yes. Not her style. So that's uh, Kelly Reichardt, new film showing up in the competition, uh, which I really look forward to being out in the world uh, so everyone can enjoy that. I also wanted to ask about one that I'm, I know is a favorite for you, uh, Corsage. Yes, Corsage. And I mean, it's good to be talking about this today because it's the day after the Uncertain Regard uh, Awards were announced and right. Vicky Creeps won um, the Best Actress in Uncertain Regard for Corsage. Extremely deservedly. I mean, I, I saw this, I actually saw this before the festival at a pre-screening and she is just genuinely remarkable in it. So it's the story um, of the Empress of Empress Elizabeth of Austria, um, who was also known as Sisi. And the Sisi movies um, were the movies that made Romy Schneider a star back in the day. Mm-hmm. And they're these absolutely horrendously cheesy, <laughs> um, really sort of sugarized, romanticized, sentimentalized um, fairy tale versions of this very beloved Empress's life. And not only did they, you know, was part of her real tragedy, the fact that she was a little bit, I suppose, like with Marie Antoinette or somebody, she was somebody who was very constrained by fame and mm-hmm. very, um, very uncomfortable with it. So then this sort of uh, fantasy version of her is made um, and uh, it, it then becomes kind of the straitjacket for Romy Schneider's career. Mm-hmm. So there was a sort of, there's been this ongoing thing with Cece, with, em- with Empress Elizabeth, I think, mm-hmm. that she's just sort of almost one of those deeply, not quite cursed, but 
just unlucky characters through history where even her her portrayals have tended to then um, straightjacket whoever has ended up doing them. And I think this is, uh, Corsage is so wonderful. It's by a director called Marie Kreutzer. Mm -hmm. So the the, the remarkable thing here is that how much of a liberation this is of the CC legend. Mm. And actually then apparently it was Vicky Creeps who suggested the movie. Yes, Um, she she worked with Marie Kreutzer um, two films ago and uh, they were friends obviously and afterwards she suggested to Marie Kreutzer that that she look into the CC legend. And Kreutzer of course, because I can't really overstate what a phenomenon the CC movies are, especially in continental Europe. Um, In Germany where I live, all three of them, there's a trilogy um, and they get progressively worse. Um, (laughs) All three of them are are played every Christmas and they are, it's one of those things that's just a collective memory for almost everybody who grew up in, in continental Europe. A collective trauma. A collective trauma, <laughs> yes. But but they've actually, they've somehow, you know, convinced themselves that actually they love them, um, these movies, and they're, they're really fond of them. So there's this huge, big uh, CC industry. And actually, if you ever go to Vienna, I think CC basically rivals, uh, mainly Mozart has more sort of oh. stuff you know, fridge magnets and, and chocolate boxes and, and all of that um, tourist tat. Um, so see, there's a huge, still still a huge CC industry going on. Mm-hmm. And I just think it was re- it was really interesting that Creeps had, I think, had read, you know, some of the the actual biographies and mm-hmm. um, suggested to Marie Kreutzer. Marie Kreutzer was very uninterested in doing it, first of all, because she knew the CC legend and why would you why would you bother? This was a kind of an un- <laughs> uninteresting thing. And then she looked into it as well. And then, so, and th- so this is, I think it's important to, to or it's uh, certainly instructive to think about that that's where the, the gestation of the this film was mm. because it is such a, an actor's piece and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense at all um, in fact I think in even in my review I was saying there's you know the, the old cliche of the actor disappearing into the role in a weird way I think the role disappears into the actor here mm. I think we, Vicky Creeps who is such a singular presence and I really love her her peculiarness she's just mm-hmm. weird um, and she has this sort of slightly weird energy in everything that she brings in everything that she she, she does um, but it, that that particular energy has not been as well served by any film since Phantom Thread I think right. this is this is the creepsiest performance <laughs> I've ever seen her give and I think that's a wonderful thing so um, and the, in, the really interesting thing is that so there's a, a lot of sort of um, anachronisms built into the film right um, there's uh, cover versions of, of a Marianne Faithful song or, you know, mm-hmm. playing over these sort of court scenes or whatever it is. And there's sometimes even the production design um, incorporates very modern elements. Yes. So it's, again, a little mm-hmm. bit Marie Antoinette-ish, but it doesn't have that sort of self-consciously hip punkish vibe right. that Marie Antoinette did. Yeah. So when I was first watching it, I was thinking, well, this is really interesting. It's a really interesting way of kind of reversing some of modernity back into the CC story mm-hmm. and kind of pulling her through. And then I did a little research and realize that almost all of the weirdest things that she does so she you see her sort of hanging upside down from a gymnastics bar yeah, yeah. and doing cartwheels and things and and uh, she, she only eats very thin slices of orange uh-huh. um, at one point she basically employs or certainly encourages a young local woman to become her husband the the emperor's um, uh, uh, yeah. uh, mistress uh-huh. and so all of these things that you think well this is a really interesting way to make her seem like a modern woman she actually did all of those things uh-huh. the real emperor Empress Elizabeth. So sometimes when you're watching this film, you're like, well, that's that's maybe they're going a little far there. Right. But those those details, the ones where you think they're going too far, are the ones yeah. that are actually true. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it just it just felt like a lovely way to reach back into the past and kind mm. of just unloosen her corsets a little bit and <laughs> let, let let her yeah. let her breathe a bit. Um, and it's just such a wonderful turn from from Vicky Creeps. There's such a I don't know what the word is synchronicity between her and the role, mm. the freedom that she 
and comfort she clearly has in, in this role. It's almost like when I was watching it, there was a bit of a time traveler feel to Yes, yeah, <laughs> to, absolutely. You know, yeah. to the character. It's like, you're not exactly this world somehow. Yeah. You know, you're just sort of moving through it on totally your own path, uh, which is also sort of creeps. It was just, which is creeps' vibe, yeah. definitely, yes. Yeah, and you know, I guess the freshest thing in my mind that I saw her last was Old, right. the M. Night Shyamalan movie, which has its own peculiar appeal, <laughs> but yeah, it's not, she didn't feel obviously entirely natural. Everyone, no one feels natural and old. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, this was really wonderful to see here just completely, you know, flourish. And, and, and it really makes sense thinking of why Paul Thomas Anderson would have been interested in, in her. He's totally, she's totally, a, you know, someone with her own vibe that works in that film. And, and just like the actress that's an inherent vice, Catherine Watterson? Yes. Yes. I don't know why I thought of her, but just that same thing of just mm. like, I could be here, I could not be here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. She doesn't want it too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same thing here, which of course, she's an empress. So exactly. that's also part of her prerogative. Um, yeah. And it's also, I think, I mean, w w if we're talking about creeps and her previous roles as well, we mm. kind of could mention Bergman Island, which was obviously oh, here yeah, last year, which course, was the yeah. other thing that she was in in the inter interim. And I'm very not a fan of um, oh, of, of uh, Bergman Island. Yeah, no, I really, really didn't like it, and I have huh. been quite a Mia Hansen Love fan up until that point. Um, so I, I'm yes, I'm I'm one of the outliers on that one. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I did like about it, or or the moments I liked about it most, were the moments with creeps when yeah. she's allowed to do slightly weird things there's one moment where she plays with a little duck ornament and then walks out of the room like quacking like a duck for absolutely <laughs> no reason and I just love those yeah. little like weirdnesses that that yeah. certain actresses can bring to roles and you know that they're their own weirdnesses but then they become part of the character's weirdness and it just makes the character seem that much more real yeah yeah mm. that's very interesting about Bergman Island that's that's a movie that's I'm sort of is awaiting a rewatch along with a million other things for mm. me because for some reason it just didn't gel for me that movie but Bergman Island Bergman Island oh, yeah great. yeah well, as well up, um, up high yes, fantastic up high, not right. for me either <laughs> yeah yeah that would have been a great segue to go into One Fine Morning which is Mia Hansen Love's movie here yes. but I did not see did that, not see I, that yeah. I do I am really curious about it yeah. I did have a ticket but was one of the 40,000 tickets that I ended up booking and cancelling yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah so that was Corsage directed by Mary Kreutzer. Mary Kreutzer. Maybe we can talk about another film in Uncertain Regard, which uh, we haven't covered yet, but also won a prize uh, last night. I think it was for direction. Metronome? Yes. Alexandru Belts. A Romanian film which is uh, set in the 70s, is yes, that right? Yes, early 70s. Yeah. I, yeah, I missed this one, so what did you make of it? Um, I was really impressed, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't super sure about it, but I, I was just interested in the, the storyline when I heard about it first. So it's set in the early years of the Ceausescu era, mm -hmm. and uh, it's basically about a, a group of young people, but it, it, does, it, it approaches this in a, almost an oblique way, so really... First of all, you think it's like a little relationship drama. It's very beautifully shot and very warmly shot, and and it's this this uh, school girl. That I think I think they're in their last year of high school, basically. Mm. So they're um, teenagers in a mixed uh, school. So uh, she has a boyfriend who's in school, and and so it's mostly about their sort of little love affair, and then sort of quite subtly and gently the context of um, the this party that they're going to emerges and one of the one of the p pieces of context is that um, they're all gathering at a friend's house it's a sort of kind of a ritual that they do mm. to listen to a radio show on Radio Free Europe which was mm. uh, and it's a, a Romanian language music show where they get to listen to band um, American music and pop music and, and uh, contemporary music and dance around to it like, like teenagers mm -hmm. do and and the, you know they, they know that this is illegal and they know that this 
is um, you know frowned upon and they, they all are sort of sneaking out of their parents houses in order to do this but I think there's also that sort of youthful exuberance that they have of like well you know all we're doing is listening to music we're not doing anything wrong and they right. aren't so it uh, revolves around this and then the very insidious way that one of them then decides that they want to write this letter to the DJ of this uh, sh of this radio show just to say how much it means to them and and, and then the writing of this letter um, becomes the kind of the centerpiece of actually what what spools out in a very gentle and very Romanian new wave kind of way mm -hmm. into a very undemonstrative kind of spy story mm -hmm. um, so it mostly then starts to become about how um, the beginnings of totalitarian regimes can really insidiously work their way into young people mm -hmm. especially young people who are who would probably be the ones who are naturally the most opposed to, mm -hmm. to this uh, very repressive uh, regime are targeted in very cunning and very cruel ways mm -hmm. and sort of turned against each other um, and at the initially you think that the lead girl that this is a story of exceptionalism that the lead girl is going to be the one who actually does stand up to the authorities and uh -huh. does do what's right and doesn't name her friends and doesn't like name there's literally a scene where they all have to list out everybody who's at that party wow. which is a very naming names thing so you yeah. know you think of house on american activities committee and all of that kind of stuff yeah. and she is really uncomfortable with doing this all the others sort of seem to be cowed more or less immediately so you're thinking okay so this is what this story is about it's yeah. about how there are sometimes like individuals and individuals can mm -hmm. stand up to, to these regimes um and without wanting to spoil too much it it turns out not to be that story and it's i think mm -hmm. it's all the stronger film for it it is as the name suggests, metronome, it is slow and the, the pace of it can get a little bit frustrating and especially I think when I thought it was going to be one of those standard, like one good person standing mm -hmm. up against the system, I was actually frustrated with it. But then the fact that it turns out not to be that moral, mm -hmm. not to be that conclusion, somehow reverse engineers sense meaning back into the slowness of it up until then mm -hmm. because it, then it really does become about the very tiny little incremental compromises that you start to mm -hmm. make to yourself and at the end like you know there's not some sort of massive drama that ever happens nobody mm -hmm. nobody's murdered nobody dies nobody's mm -hmm. even like you know imprisoned or beat, beaten um, a little bit um, mm -hmm. and so they're actually the, the, this group of kids who we've gotten to know are are kind of okay mm -hmm. but you know that they're only okay at the whim of their of yeah. the regime that they mm -hmm. have now started to understand that they can't fight against wow. and so it's a really subtle moral a really nuanced moral and I thought I mm -hmm. thought it, it, it did genuinely make sense of a lot of the film's stylistic and uh, pacing choices until then. Wow. Um, well, I really want to catch up with that because I've been hearing interesting things about it. And also, especially, you know, with this ro other Romanian film, RMN. Yes, uh, which I loved. Yeah, yeah I loved that as yeah. well. It, it feels like that's they're an interesting companion piece yes. because it's like either side of the fall of communism mm. and... Yeah, different things are bad. <laughs> mm, yes, exactly. <laughs> especially in Romania, apparently. Yeah, especially in <laughs> Romania. So, um, well, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it, things that lots of places suffer. So it's mm. uh, so that's an interesting um, comparison to um, one movie I have not talked about, and I actually I had kind of an adverse reaction to somehow, but I know lots of people didn't. So I really want to hear uh, the perspective on it. Holy Spider mm. uh, from the director Ali Abbasi, whose new film I was really looking forward to. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. I had a gas with, with Border. With Border. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, have you seen his previous one, his first film, his first no, feature, Shelley, which is terrific oh, as is well. It? And Shelley, um, is a, it's a pregnancy horror, basically. It's oh, really wow. atmospheric and like really cleverly done where it actually stars Cosima Stratton, who won Best Actress here for Christian Munju because everything is connected. Oh, Christian wow. Munju is Beyond the Hills. Okay. Um, uh -huh. So, yeah. Uh, and she's terrific in it. She's a just a wonderful actress. Anyway, so she's... Great. 
always worth seeing if you ever see her name cropping up on some credits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I have been a fan of, of Abassi's. I think I was probably not quite as high on Border as some. I, I didn't think it, it landed itself very mm-hmm. well, but I just, I mean, it is. it was so just defiantly peculiar. Yeah. I was so looking forward to Holy Spider as well because I was convinced, even though I knew that Holy Spider was based um, on a true story, was inspired mm-hmm. by a true story, that, you know, the director of something as just defiantly odd as mm. Border was going to really come and put his own take yeah. on it. And then again, in advance of the festival, um, a lot of people saw this in advance and, yeah. and were, it, it was the really buzzy title. And I was mm-hmm. very happy that I was going to be reviewing it. I was commissioned to review it for Variety and I was really looking forward to it. And But a lot of people had sort of, I guess there is a, you know, a certain degree of expectation building at work that, that where people were like, not just that they thought it was great, but that also that they were really sort of traumatized by it. Mm. And and I don't know if I've just become super desensitized. <laughs> but um, so the thing that, that that surprised me about it and disappointed me about it, because I did find it very disappointing, okay. was just how procedural it is for most of it. It's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's So it's a serial killer story. It's the story of this guy who was co- known as the spider in Iran um, and who decided that it was his mission from Allah to to go around murdering prostitutes, um, to, you know, these fallen women, to clean this, the streets of his mm-hmm. city, which was the second, the second most populous city in Iran and the site of the biggest mosque in the world and this very holy shrine so he keeps on um, referring to a particular imam Mm -hmm. and it's it's where this imam was he's like the eighth imam of, of Islam I think Um, and uh, it's his burial place and then this became this sort of shrine so it's a very holy area a lot of this context I don't think that you actually get I I mean I I sort of found out about that later or you know read up on it a little bit so uh, and that partly is obviously because it will surprise no one to know that uh, Abbasi and the filmmakers were not allowed to shoot this film in Iran so they shoot it in uh, Amman in Jordan I mean and I don't want to these are necessities of, of making this film of course but I think a film that has those very very specific local cultural signifiers mm-hmm. um, one of the reasons that he was so adamant about about getting rid of these women was that they where where they were hanging out was around this particular shrine and he regarded mm-hmm. it as a, a true desecration of, of that area so so when when there's that much local specificity to mm-hmm. it um, I think that having to shoot it not in that specific locale does does kind of impact on it a little bit but mainly my issue with the film is that although I think that Mehdi Bajistani who plays Saeed who is the spider um, who is the killer I think he does a, a superb job actually and it's a it's a really interesting role in that for the most part I think Abassi is quite careful to make sure that this is a small man that this is like mm. he, he doesn't come across as a as some sort of you know raging zealot um, right. I mean he is a raging zealot but he doesn't come across as some sort of towering figure there's no right. glorification of him whatsoever mm-hmm. um, but the thing that really surprised me was for the first two thirds of the film it is a very standard procedural it even yeah. has this the one major invented character in it which is the plucky girl reporter who comes in from Tehran and uh-huh. starts taking um, you know taking charge of the situation charge of the of the hunt for the killer because mm-hmm. she correctly assumes that the local police don't really care that this man is killing prostitutes right. um, and in fact maybe they kind of agree with him and she, she's involved in these sort of increasingly obvious 
cat and mouse game where mm. she's trying to where she ends up trying to, to catch him putting herself in danger's way making herself bait basically right. in order mm-hmm. to catch the guy and all of that stuff just felt so like I had seen it before in so many other yeah. serial killer thrillers um, and I was really surprised by its presentation especially coming from the director of Border mm-hmm. and then in its last third I will say and this isn't a spoiler because this is even in the in the summation of it and it was the thing that made me most interested in the film from a content standpoint before going into it was the fact that when he was eventually caught mm-hmm. um, uh, and his crimes were made known to the public there was actually a very significant groundswell of support for him and he became a certain type of local hero actually for, for having done these things so at that point when it gets starts to get into that and it gets into his trial and it gets into how that the how the media are portraying him mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of just you know h- how it ref, uh, rebounds on his family because he's a family man he's a very loving dad yeah. to, to um, uh, several children and you know he's almost almost a henpecked husband you know he really seems to be quite meek around his wife mm-hmm. um, so when it, when that context comes in, how they react to it, how the local community reacts to it, um, I think that's really the interesting part of the film. And so it was mm-hmm. very frustrating to me that he just somehow left this for the last third of the movie yeah. um, after this very quite kind of bog standard serial killer thriller. Yeah, that that was my feeling as well. I just it just got like yeah repetitive and, and monotonous um, and not in any real productive way mm. um, and. What made it doubly kind of trying is the fact that what it was repetitive about was strangling and and, and murdering of of, of women. (laughs) You know, I didn't even see the purpose of that because you felt like the purpose of this scene has been served and then you'd see another one. Mm. And, I, you know, it's like you don't have to demonstrate to me that serial (laughs) like murder is, you know, it was monotonously dark I guess mm-hmm. um, and not that I needed to be stylish either because actually I'm kind of tired of serial killer movies yes. like I don't really know what serial killers have left to say <laughs> to, to say, us. Exactly. like if I were writing an op-ed it would be like serial killers have run out of things to say I don't know it's how's the pandemic spelt, spelt the end for serial killers I don't know I mean I, mean, yeah. I, I, I think this is this is also, I mean, I think I slightly disagree, actually, because, I mean, I just I just love seeing women strangled on screen. It's, like, <laughs> it's my, my major uh, kick. But there is something, I think there is something interesting, and it, I mean, it starts off on, on that level as well, uh, in how he approaches those, the, the murders. Mm. Um, and there are three murders that we see on screen. Okay. Um, and they are all strangulations, and they are quite graphically done. So you see the mottling of the face, and you yeah. see the eyes getting bloodshot, and, mm-hmm. and those sort of things, those details. Details. And so, and that, that, I mean, that is upsetting and it should be upsetting. Yes. Um, I have disagreed with some friends of mine who do feel that those scenes are exploitative and that they are unnecessarily sort of, um, that he's some, somehow unnecessarily getting off on the violence of those, yeah. of those. I, I don't, I didn't personally it's didn't bad, feel that. No. And, and mainly because I think that he actually does, one thing that he does do better than most serial killer procedurals is he does a, a humanizing of the of the victims, but not in such a way where it's like very obviously like their story and how what a tragedy it is mm-hmm. is going to happen before this person. He just has a, a, and he casts all three of those roles extremely mm-hmm. well. The very first uh, woman we meet, who's the first person in the film yeah, that we meet, yeah. she's really strong and she's True. a really strong presence. And you, even though you know she's going through technically all the things that we might expect a prostitute on the streets of Iran mm-hmm. to to go through even stuff about having when she has to put her abaya on and when she's uh, in this horrible 
like cracked public bathroom changing right. from her flat mm -hmm. shoes into her yeah. heels and putting on her makeup and this very heavy eye makeup which is one of the ways they seem to signal that they are right. they are ladies of the night and sex workers they seem to wear the same particular he headscarf as well yes yes like yeah and well and also the headscarf was his his uh, weapon um he he took off their wet uh, headscarves and strangled them with it so she's a fully rounded person and she i mean but she's also like a drug addict we see her going to to score drugs to kind of get we see her perform what people are suggesting is an unsimulated blowjob which was one of the reasons that this was very uh, controversial but it's like a tiny little I, shot and i don't uh, see why that would why, why they would bother to not simulate that yeah, because I, I, nothing nothing I, is nothing is really seen there but there's lovely little very heartbreaking details in in her life in her evening before she goes before she right. she meets this man i i particularly like like just a small thing she one of her clients is a saffron merchant so he's obviously mm. wealthy and he's married you can see a picture of him and his wife on the mantelpiece and she just goes in afterwards to clean herself up into the bathroom and she just she's there's all of her his wife's expensive creams oh. and she tries she just it takes a tiny little dab of one of these expensive creams and, and uh, rubs it in lotions and rubs it into her hand and just like little things like mm. that before being like really hastily summoned out of the bathroom by the by the man mm. um, and like kicked out of the place basically so just those sort of very small things that really kind of put you into into the person's sympathy without mm. without necessarily you know bludgeoning you with it uh, yes and so he does that with the, with the other two victims as well I think to, to a greater or lesser degree I think the third victim she's just an amazing actress mm. um, uh, she's the one who really fights back so that becomes really a, a sort of a new trauma that is introduced mm. into it but one of the things that a lot of people were saying beforehand was that how how violent it was and how how grisly it was and how much murder there was mm -hmm. and I, I mean again maybe I just I'm completely desensitized, but I didn't. I didn't feel it. It, it you know, overly graphic or overly mm -hmm. um, gratuitous at all. Yeah, I didn't find it gratuitous. I, I think it's true, and it's good just to underline that. I guess there are three of them. Those murder scenes. The last one is really interesting because mm. she's, she's fighting back and just sort of a take no shit. Yes, <laughs> kind, yeah. kind of uh, kind of character, which I, I'm sure everyone has to be in, in the film. I guess the other thing was just. I felt it was telegraphing like what its grand conclusion was, you know, so it gets to this point where it's like it's telegraphing the whole movie that there is a, a complicity, uh, you know, between mm. like religious authorities or, or police mm. with what he's doing. So when that's sort of whipped the curtain back, you know, mm. it's, it's not as impressive. What is sort of interesting to me is that the, the narrative is taken through a perspective of the journalist, partly, rather than a detective. That's right. Um, yeah. So that's sort of interesting, but then I feel like they don't give her enough to do in the second half. No, I, do, I, I don't think that they do. And, and I mean, as much as I, I don't really necessarily like to be super negative about people in general, uh, about people specifically, I mean, mm. um, I don't think that she's the best actress okay. um, and uh, uh, so and that just the character felt again I think it's I think it's strange that the character who is the most wholly invented character is the mm. one that feels like such an invention it feels like such a genre right. invention so she really adheres to the beats of the of the plucky reporter mm -hmm. plucky gal reporter going off and, and yeah. you know taking on the bad men when the other bad men won't yes and and the fact that she the, the actress who plays her I, th I think is just a little bit especially con c compared to those three 
three women who play the three mm -hmm. murdered um, prostitutes. She she's very recessive. I didn't I didn't get a lot from her. Mm. And apparently she was actually a very last minute replacement because there was a he had an actress attached to this, and I'm I'm sure he must have had extreme difficulties casting this mm. this um, with Iranian people because they don't right. want to uh, ruffle these kind of feathers. Yes, at the very last minute, his his uh, assigned actress uh, pulled out, and so I think I kind of felt that in the film, huh. in the finished film. Wow. Okay, I, I had no idea about that. Mm. That's uh, well. In a sense, that's kind of impressive if she was yes, production exactly. assistant and she's supposed to carry half of the movie somehow. But, uh, yeah. Well, I'm really glad we talked about it. Yeah, Holy Spider, um, and that's Ali Abbasi. But uh, I guess I'll finish just since we are actually still before the closing ceremony. Yes. If you have a pick oh, for the well, palm, palm pick. Well, my pick or my prediction? What should and what you oh, want. What should, okay, well, okay. What you want and what will. Oh, my God. I, I really, I don't know what I want to win this year. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you one award that I would like to see oh, yeah. happen, which is Best Director. To, I would like Best Director to go to Park Chan-wook oh, for Decision God. to Leave. It's c such an obvious thing to say. And it, and it, the film itself, I, I mean, I adored the film. Me I think too. the film is just absolutely superb but yeah. while, even while I was watching I was like well there's no way this is a palm contender because it just doesn't have that gloss of importance right. and there's no exactly it's too much fun there's no eat your vegetables stuff going on right. here but purely on a level of craft every single scene in this movie yeah. is just seems to have all of the attention of the director and it's almost like I keep on saying it's almost like every single scene is the one scene that he made this entire film just so he could do this one mm -hmm. scene but like that's every single scene yeah. just one after the other he invents new ways to do the most obvious and you know most hackneyed of things there's a conversation between two people that happens in a stairwell mm -hmm. the least interesting location on earth and mm -hmm. he somehow manages to find the only two <laughs> angles on, of yeah. coverage on this that make it really you know thrilling and sort of insightful and like a, a, yeah. just a clever little scene and it's just a conversation on a stairwell so there's another bit where he, he you can almost sense him getting uh, frustrated with the idea of that he has to deliver a little bit of exposition at one point <laughs> and he's just like oh well. so he just cuts to a pretty much entirely unrelated foot chase which is one of the most <laughs> exciting and beautifully shot foot chases yeah. you've ever seen and then at the very end of that scene there is a kind of thematic resonance mm -hmm. that brings it back to the rest of the film yeah. so I just I mean on a, on a direction level alone just the way he is in total mastery in total command of every single aspect of that film I, I think it's it's the work of a master at the absolute peak mm -hmm. of his game. So yeah. I would love I would love for that to, to happen. Um, for the palm, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> who cares? Uh, who cares exactly? <laughs> um, uh, I I mean I have liked I have liked a lot um, that that was that's in. I think I think everyone. I'm probably going to put my chips where everybody else's chips are for what will probably win, mm. which is Lucas Dont's uh, close. Um, and yeah. I think that probably is going to win. Not hmm. maybe not because it's the most, um, it's the best film, or, or anybody is necessarily going to adore it more than absolutely everything else that they've seen. But it's a very easy consensus pick. And if hmm. if by any chance the this the jury this year have been as divided as the critics have over films, right. it's very possible that everybody will have a different favorite, or everybody will True. be stumping for their own like different favorite. And if that is the case, as we have seen in previous years, the way juries work, it's 
often comes down to not the one that everybody loves the most, but the one that they can all agree on is is like a a, a decent compromise choice. Um, and I mean, it, I, I think it's a very I think it's a very accomplished film, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's a very uh, it's very emotive. And ev- certainly at my press screening, and it played again quite late in the festival, mm-hmm. there was not a dry eye in mm-hmm. the house, and I think yeah. that will also help carry will probably help carry it over. Um, yeah. It's not probably I mean in in future years if it does win it wouldn't probably be one of the ones that we will all look back on and be like yeah that's what a palm door is supposed to be right i mean there, there's almost something i thought admirably and, and self-consciously miniature about it like it's a miniature mm. it's a miniature because I, I yes. it's a it's a very focused yeah. focused thing and for most of it i think pulls that off um but yeah it doesn't have the same you know sprawl or grandeur of, of, of a palm or i mean i'd say ambition but actually i think what it's doing is pretty ambitious yeah um that doesn't like necessarily announce itself as that but no, it's it's beautiful and, and the, yeah. the the performance, especially of the of the young boy, is is, is magnificent. It's yeah. really extraordinary, and he's it's so close up on him, yeah. close and it's close up on him, and and it's uh, it never gives up on him, and he never he never flinches at you know at any yeah. point. His his performance is utterly flawless and really magnetic as well. Yeah. Even you know even when you're watching the back of his head, I could watch <laughs> that little curl on the back of the nape of his neck for ages. Um, yeah, he's really wonderful. So yeah. I mean, there's so much to recommend the film, and I I mean I won't be horrified if and when it wins yeah yeah um, um so yeah we'll see we'll see if it's um close also good title i thought mm-hmm. um or perhaps something else um, so if it's close or no cigar <laughs> 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 all right all right i can't follow that so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to drop the curtain there yes. leave on a high note um but jessica thank you so much again for you're very welcome nick thank you for having me you've been listening to the last thing i saw with your host nicholas Rapold please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening.